Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer a Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer a Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Know Your Foe episode of Film Study, the first of the year. We're joined today by Pete Smith of Sports Illustrated, who is going to take us through the Browns personnel schemes, etc. Pete, how are you doing today? I'm good. How are you doing, Ken? No complaints. Really appreciate you uh, doing this for us and coming on the show, uh, talking to Ravens fans. And, and they know a lot about the Browns. They're obviously a very familiar opponent, but the Browns, like every NFL team, a lot of changes since last year. Sure. I mean, after all, we uh, sent you on the path to greatness after that uh, week four game. We, we do appreciate that. We really rebuilt the entire defense uh, after that game. And, uh, you know, certainly a, a, a difficult loss to take for Baltimore fans, you know, on, on what we thought was a season that was headed in the right direction. But it really got headed in the right direction after the linebacking core was flushed at that point and replaced by uh, – you know, some players who could actually do the job and they uh, realized the weakness at edge setter made other defensive adjustments 
for that. Uh, but anyway, we're here to talk about the Browns today. Uh, their offseason, big, big offseason, obviously. What was it? What were their big acquisitions? And maybe we'll talk a little bit about the draft picks as well. Well, I mean, the, the biggest two moves they made were they, they added uh, Jack Conklin and Austin Hooper in free agency, and, and they really took a an approach to the offseason where it was basically just building the offense uh, in terms of investment. So those were their two biggest moves. Uh, they, they, they did some other things on the other side of the ball, but most of their defensive ads were one-year deals. They're not really locked into anything. They're sort of figuring out who they are. But off- offensively, you know, those two are the big ones. They added uh, Jedrick Wills in the draft. Uh, they traded for uh, Andy Janovich to be their fullback. So really everything off, you know, from the offseason standpoint was trying to sort of finish the offense and put Baker Mayfield in the best possible uh, position to succeed. Uh, even the hiring of Kevin Stefanski as the head coach, everything was sort of geared toward that end. They're, uh, they're just basing – this season, and obviously, you know, nobody expected uh, this season to be sort of altered in the way it was. But it's really, in that sense, even more of a focus on that, that be, by virtue of a shortened offseason, by virtue of the virtual offseason that all these teams have had to go to, it's, it's, it's even more focused on just make sure that they've got that side of the ball right. Okay. Now, Wills, a huge addition at tackle. The Browns, obviously, one of the really improved teams with Wills and Conklin at tackle this year. Uh, you mentioned it's mostly on the offensive side of the ball. A player I really love from the draft was Grant Delpit, and uh, he is hurt now, apparently lost for the year. Am I correct? Yeah, he uh, suffered a ruptured Achilles. He's already had the uh, surgery, and, and, and we're on to, you know, waiting for the healing process so he can start, you know, what what is ultimately, you know, a difficult rehab. That's It's always a, uh, you know, a very – nervous sort of thing when it comes to the Achilles because some of those guys just never come back the right way. And obviously he's a rookie and that's, you know, the worst thing that happened, but they, they loved his intelligence and they loved the way he saw the game that they were, you know, people criticized him for his lack of his bad tackling for technically he's an awful tackler. He, he doesn't bring his feet very well, but he, he still made a lot of tackles by virtue of the fact he saw the game so well that he always put himself in position, which is something they really liked. All right. I loved him at the college level. I thought he's probably a good shot to be an excellent free safety. Might end up being a strong safety, but a good chance to be a, a, a free safety at the NFL level. I probably like McKinney just a little bit more in terms of the, the available safeties. And did, did he go a pick ahead of the Browns getting Delpit or it was, it was fairly close, right? Uh, I think I think he went the pick before they traded down. I think I think he went right. uh Right before, and then they traded down so the Colts could grab uh, the tailback uh, from uh, Wisconsin, Taylor, Jonathan yeah. Taylor, and then the Browns swapped back, and uh, they were they were happy to get Delpit. But uh, you know, for what they want with this Joe Woods scheme, they they want guys that can do a little bit of everything. So they certainly want Delpit to take over that free safety job. There's no question. But they also like his ability to sort of be that quasi you know, strong safety guy and a guy who can play in the slot, which is something he did at LSU anyway. So they like the fact that they, they have guys that can do a little bit of all of those roles. And certainly uh, they banked a lot on Delpit. He was, he was penciled in as a starter uh, right off the bat. Yeah. I think he'd, he'd have, he'd have had that role certainly in Baltimore uh, or likely in Baltimore. Let me say they've, they've, you know, had to obviously deal with the loss of uh, Earl Thomas and, and uh, they did have a guy, they, uh, Sean Elliott appears to be the guy they're going to put all their trust in and not a dissimilar situation. Now they, they acquired Ronnie Harrison 
to fill in now at safety? Yeah, they, they uh, you know, the, the Jacksonville Jaguars seem to be getting rid of anything that's not nailed down uh, right now. And, you know, Ronnie Harrison has started 22 games in two years, which I think was a huge selling point. He's still only 23 years old. Uh, he's not going to come in and start right away. They've got Carl Joseph and they've got a guy named Sheldrick Redwine. But I think what they like about uh, what they like about Harrison is, again, the fact that he has starting experience. He's been on the field. It's not a situation where they're putting in an undrafted rookie, uh, which is where they were headed uh, at that point. And then, you know, Carl Joseph is is a very talented player who loves to throw his body around and tends to get hurt doing that. Uh, fun to watch. Everybody enjoys watching him, but it's the type of thing where it can be a little bit of a double-edged sword. So I think they wanted to ensure that. Ronnie Harrison, not a great run player, but he is a guy who can cover tight ends reasonably well, and I think that was a big selling point for them. He's long for the position, reasonably athletic. He can be physical. Uh, so, you know, they get they get a, some depth that's that's capable. And, and you know, the Browns don't stink anymore. So, they you know, they have a bunch of draft picks. So they basically look at this. As they are getting somebody that they were going to keep on this roster for a fifth-round pick in 2021. Uh, they go from 10 picks to nine. So it just made a lot of sense from their standpoint. Obviously, Jacksonville wants all the picks they can get because they, you know, they're whether you want to call it tearing down, rebuilding, whatever they they've they've sold off all their spare parts. They want to make sure they get Trevor Lawrence. I mean, it really it, it seems that way anyway. But uh, uh, anyway, I, I the other guy I liked from the draft was Jacob Phillips, who ended up with the Browns in round three. Was it? He ended up. Yeah. Okay, so it's a little earlier than I expected him to go. I was hoping the Ravens could have him in round four or five, be one of those linebackers who would last a little bit, be a two-down, inside, run-stuffing linebacker that they could platoon and uh, and do more with. But uh, but I did like him a lot, and, and to see the Ravens, uh, see the Browns get him is kind of disappointing to me. Well, he may actually end up starting. Uh, it's not entirely clear how they're going to do it. Uh, they they, they want to be largely a two-linebacker defense. Uh, one of those guys is likely going to be BJ Goodson, who they signed in the offseason. But originally, you know, I think Goodson or uh, that uh, Phillips may have beaten him out. But uh, they went into the season with Mac Wilson, sort of as the you know the guy ahead of him. He he hurt his knee. He's going to be out for several more weeks. And at least from my standpoint, watching him, they they're going to run with a Mike and a Will, and they put uh, Jacob Phillips at that Will position. He just plays really fast. And again, the theme throughout their draft process where they really like smart guys. And Phillips sees the game at a, high, at, at a high level. He processes information really quick, and he's only 21. Uh, the issue for, for Phillips, and it was the same thing at, uh, at LSU, is you know, physicality. How, how could he consistently take on blocks from linemen? How could he deal with that? And, and you know, so far, it's, it's a largely the same deal as it was at LSU. He just beats him to the spot. He, if he doesn't get blocked, it's not a problem. And that seems to be where they're headed. Uh, the only reason I, I would qualify that is because of what the Ravens want to do offensively. There's a possibility maybe they want to use Sione Takitaki because he's more of a big physical inside presence that's stronger at the point of attack. And, and if they're really determined to say that we're going to, you know, outmuscle them up front and try to take away that inside uh, run run game and, and try to to deal with some of that, uh, you know, take away some that that inside alley from their run game where they're they're trying to sell sort of that option look that they may have him be that guy, but they really like Phillips. Uh, I've been really impressed with him when what I've seen, he's not a guy who's going to make impact tackles. That's just not who he is, but he's just a guy who consistently puts the guy on the ground. 
Now the the, uh, the Browns linebackers. When I'm looking at this, the Browns Browns up front strong in in terms of their pass rush. They'll have Olivier Vernon on on one side and Miles Garrett, of course, on the other. They made a big commitment to this offseason. But they also have, you know, guys in the middle, Ogajobi and whatnot, who, who are very solid pass rushers. What, I, what I'm what i not as excited about, if or I'd be very excited about it if it, in facing the Browns, is that their, their coverage linebackers are not great. And given that, a play action could be fairly effective against them. Right. So... Look, if you look at the Browns linebackers, uh, you're going to go, who who the hell are these guys? In in a lot of ways, because they just haven't done anything on an NFL field that goes, oh, you know, I, I know what this guy brings to the table. It's either rookies or guys who have barely played or B.J. Goodson's been around a little bit, but he's, he's largely been sort of a, a run stopping uh, and special teams type guy. The Browns' approach to this is when they went to the Steve, uh, when they hired the coaching staff they had, they took a very economical view uh, they borrowed sort of the mindset of the Philadelphia Eagles in that respect, where Andrew Barry spent this past year, which is a team that just does not invest in linebackers and they don't pay mm-hmm. them money. Uh, they 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 really do approach it a lot like uh, most teams approach running back, which is you can find a guy. And the Browns have sort of done this. So the the the, the response to this is one, you're looking at this as an opposition. And you're going, how do I isolate these guys and create mismatches because that's potentially a big problem. If you're the Browns the big thing you're doing is you're going to try to reduce the amount of exposure these guys have uh, with the Browns. Obviously they, their, their investments are in the secondary and the defensive line, the defensive line, as you mentioned, has a lot of talent, but their secondary is going to have to do a lot of the work. I think what the Browns are going to try to do as much as possible is just have those linebackers stay in the box and basically play a see ball, get ball type mentality. I, I think when it comes to dealing with you know, the, the, the area that would jump out of you a, a, as a, as an issue is dealing with Mark Andrews. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, and I think what you're going to end up with is sort of a box coverage. I think you're going to get a little bit of under over where you're going to have linebackers work with them until they pass them off to a safety. Um, I, I don't anticipate that they're going to say, Hey, Jacob Phillips, your first NFL start, just track this guy around. It just doesn't make much sense. Maybe they'll have some safeties do some of that single coverage. But again, if you're looking at this from the Browns standpoint, it just doesn't make sense to go into this game against a team that has obviously had a ton of success using tight ends, using that play action uh, to create opportunities and saying these unproven linebackers, we're going to put all the weight on them. Uh, that That's going to be what the Ravens try to do. And that's going to be the fight the Browns have to have to meet and say, we're not going to have this. All right, this is great stuff. Let's continue on with the defense since we're since we're on that right now, and just talk about what the Browns' most common looks are. Now, the the first thing I heard you say was that the Browns wanted to be a two linebacker team. Does that mean they're changing to a three four defense where they are going to have two you know stand up inside linebackers and two standing at the line of scrimmage, or are you talking about something else where they will often replace a linebacker with a safety? Say, so Joe Woods to his credit sees where the game is going. He actually really wants, if he can get there, he wants to play, run a base dime look. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he's going to settle right now for base nickel. His dream is to basically get to a point where they can have three safeties and three corners, and that's your base with uh, one linebacker. For the moment, uh, they want to roll with two linebackers and have and have three safeties on the field. Obviously, the Delpit injury may have an impact on that, but that's why they got MJ Stewart, who was uh, let go by the Bucks who they basically said is a tweener, and the Browns said, well, that's exactly what we want. 
which is MJ Stewart was a guy who was physical in college, very good tackler, uh, and and can do some of those things. He'd play the slot in that scenario. They've got Andrew Sandejo, who may get some looks in the slot from that standpoint. Uh, however, having said that, I think, you know, if the Browns feel like that they, they are worried about losing at the point of attack, they may feel like they have to go to three linebackers. And just the way the Ravens have traditionally looked, uh, that they were never afraid to roll with three tight ends and, and load up and basically said, we're going to do this, try and stop us. Um, obviously, they've made some roster changes that make it a little more like they're going to go with more receivers this year. But, you know, especially week one, this is our bread and butter. And we're going to roll with it. So the Browns are going to try to keep two two linebackers. They're going to stay in the box as much as possible. They're going to allow the DBs and particularly those safeties to be the adjusters. If the if they want to go smaller, if they want to bring in guys like Devin Duvernay, who I know John Harbaugh is a big fan of, and also I was. So every time he talks about how great his hands are, it's a little sting to me. But nevertheless, if they want to go smaller, they've got Marquise Brown and those type of guys that they may have to go to more of a, a truer uh, nickel and dime look. But if they want to go bigger, they may have to to make an adjustment. But for their base, they, what they want to do is have four defensive linemen. I mean, that's they'd be they'd be stupid not to with what they've got. Mm-hmm. And two linebackers and three DBs, whether it's uh, you know safeties or, or corners in a given situation. Okay, so they have, and you've mentioned these tweeners, so they can really play a big nickel sort of a look or a regular standard slot corner nickel. Do they have a smaller guy with a really great change of direction skills to play in the slot? They do. However, he uh, suffered a lacerated liver in the uh, in training camp. That's Kevin Johnson, who's fantastic in camp, and and somehow. Suffered a lacerated liver, though it was apparently minor enough that he actually finished practice before they figured out something was wrong. And he's already been back out at – like he was out at practice like really early already on a bike, which is definitely not the recommended treatment for such a thing. Usually uh, you lock those guys down on bed rest. Uh, They've got – again, they've got MJ Stewart. Uh, That may be who they roll with in a bigger look if they have to. I know they really don't want to have to go this route, which would be a guy named Tavier Thomas who's basically just a special teams guy. But that is sort of the emergency situation. Uh, based on what they've done so far, Greedy Williams and, and Kevin Johnson have not uh, practiced this week. So I, I would assume, you know, unless that changes real fast, that that's, they're going to be out this week. So right now it looks like the Browns are going to have Denzel Ward. They're going to have uh, MJ Stewart. And then uh, they're going to have uh, somebody else, man, that other boundary corner position. Uh, they're predominantly going to be in a cover three. That is typically how they've been rolling uh for the most part, uh, Joe Woods likes to have his guys be a little more more aggressive and play on the ball, but they're going to be predominantly cover three, and then they may mix in some some one man. Uh, but the way he wants to sort of change things up is basically switching up who is responsible for what in a given situation. So, you know, for example, you know, the free safety traditionally be that deep middle. You know, depending on the situation, he may have the strong do it, and the free safety come up and play man on somebody or, or maybe play that robber type role. But for the most mm-hmm. part, they're going to stay in that base cover three, try to keep things in front of them, uh, tackle the ball and hope their, their, their defensive line can, can do the job. Well, they, they, you know, Lamar Jackson, certainly some people have called it the gravitational pull he has on, on a defense usually keeps a lot of eyes in the backfield on him. So, uh, you know, other teams have liked to play zone against him. The Ravens certainly going to want to make the Browns defend every, square inch of that field with what they do offensively. I think we'll see in the scripted plays a lot of efforts to probe, you know, deep 
some down the sideline too, because obviously that that criticism is made of Jackson very regularly. He doesn't throw out the, outside the numbers, um, and and try a lot of different spots on the field to see what the what the Browns are willing to cover less than other areas. All right, um, let's talk a little bit. Because always with a four man line, questions come up about rotation and depth and snap management because it's it's more difficult, I think, to rotate an entire four man line. So what have what have we seen in in the last couple of years from the Browns in terms of that? Well, last year they had garbage coming off the off off the, the rotation. They had some guys who just were not really NFL players uh, doing some of that. Chad Thomas they got rid of was just not not a good player. They had guys like Daniel Quale uh, trying to to be that backup nose, which just wasn't effective. They had guys like Trevon Coley coming in, who was okay, but just they really did take an effort to improve it in a way that I think they they are substantially better. Uh, the first thing they did was they signed Adrian Claiborne, and you know he's not a guy who get you know he's not a household name, but he's a really really good. He only plays on the right right side because of his uh his he's got one arm shorter than the other, which is you know been something that he's been dealing. I did not with. know that. Yeah, they, so when he came out of the draft, that was like a big deal about it. He could only play on the right side because his one arm was shorter than the other, but he's very good at it. That's the thing is he's one of the most uh, effective pass rushers in sort of a win rate type mechanic uh, and he's 200 you know 280 pounds so he's not hurting you from that stout uh being a stout guy they 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 found a guy they added last year after miles garrett got suspended and then olivia vernon's knee got uh got uh wrenched up and they basically john dorsey because he didn't address the depth w- very well basically started just throwing whatever he could find at it and one of the guys he found that was pretty good uh and the last year was uh Porter Gustin, who some people may know from his time at USC, where he's a very good player, but he couldn't stay healthy. Uh, just like he he made Bruce Feldman all freak list and all that type of stuff. And and so far he's been healthy. He had a great camp. Uh, he's a nice uh, sort of a, a, an under undersized relative to what the Browns have. He's still almost 260 pounds. It's not like he's a small guy, but he's very athletic. He's an energizer bunny type. And then uh, recently they they just got Joe Jackson from the Dallas Cowboys when they released him. Hasn't played a ton, only played in five games last year. I don't know how much he'll see because they literally just had him. But the inside is where they made uh, some bigger differences. Originally, they had signed Andrew Billings, which was a huge move. Great player in terms of stopping, uh, you know, being able to gap. But then he decided to opt out of the season out of uh, concerns for for COVID-19. They drafted Jordan Elliott out of Missouri, uh, third-round pick, and he's been repping a ton. He's a power player who has a little bit of quickness, but really, and I think this is really specific to to what they want to do against the Ravens, is they like the fact that he's strong. Now, he's a rookie. That's a really difficult adjustment to do where you're trying to suddenly power over grown-ass men who are trying to pay mortgages and, and, and have families and everything. But with what they want to try to do is they want to send their ends up the field and they want to try to collapse as much as possible. So not only are they trying to take away running lanes from the sides for Lamar Jackson, potentially try to escape outside, but they want to make sure they don't get pushed back up the field and create those running lanes up the middle where he can just suddenly scoot. He's already 10 down 10 yards down the field and DBs are trying to track him and he's already passed them. So he will get a look there uh, with Sheldon Richardson rotating. And then, uh, the, the nose position was a real question. I didn't like either one of them and, and they were fortunate. The Buffalo bills were apparently carrying about seven of them during camp <laughs> and they released, uh, Vincent Taylor, 
uh, who's who's been a pretty good player. Uh, is that the old the, Brent? No, that's I'm thinking of Phil Taylor. I'm sorry, I don't know who Vincent Taylor is. He played. Uh, I want to say it in Nebraska or one of those. But uh, he he played the last two years in Buffalo. His first year uh, at at Miami, he was a sixth round pick. I think he's 311 pounds. He's just a big old wide body, a little bit athletic, but he's a nose. He's a he's a plugger. But he's an upgrade to what they have, and what that allows them to do, hopefully is if he can take a lot of the reps uh, that uh, are, are those obvious running situations or, you know, try to get them into more, you know, those medium or, you know, pass rush situations that then Larry Ogunjobi can be on the field. He's more suited to be an active gap penetrating guy as opposed to somebody who's going to try to take on double teams. Uh, again, you, you get this guy in, obviously nose tackle is not a huge, you know, it's not, not a huge scheme thing where all of a sudden he's going to learn, a whole bunch of new stuff, but nevertheless, he's got to get comfortable in what they're trying to do. So that becomes a big player for them, especially with what the Ravens are going to try to do with that running game. If they can move those interior guys off the line of scrimmage, then they're going to have a lot of success because they have to use Miles Garrett and Olivier Vernon to take away those outside running lanes and try to collapse the puck from the outside. And that's really where they had a ton of success last year in that first matchup is Lamar Jackson just didn't really have a way to sort of get out and then once the Browns got ahead of them he was sort of forced to try to throw their way back in but I would expect that's going to be a big part of what they try to do this year even though they've switched defensive schemes it's just the most prudent way to deal with a quarterback like Lamar Jackson you try to take away those outside runs you try to take away uh the escape lanes from there and then you just try not to, to to leave open spaces up the middle and create paths for him to to just scoot down the field and and just create havoc that's a lot to ask. I mean, obviously the Ravens can do it with other players other than just Lamar. J.K. Dobbins, I'm really looking forward to his first NFL game. You, uh, are you are you live in Ohio? Yeah, yeah, I'm I'm familiar with J.K. Dobbins. Uh, yeah. Both him and Malik Harrison. I did not, you know, I wasn't thrilled to see either one of them uh, end up in Baltimore. They, were, you know, good. You know, it, it was from Baltimore standpoint. Look, you you are in. Go get the Super Bowl right now, and those are two guys that help you win the Super Bowl right now. They can come in and play immediately or soon thereafter and, and try to help you get over the top. So J.K. Dobbins, you know, the Ravens didn't need a running back, but hey, there's this great back that just sort of ends up in the second round and this is what we do well, so let's go ahead and grab him. Yeah, that's that's exactly true. You mentioned the linebacker and running back thing. I First of all, though, the running back thing, I am completely of the same mind that basically you shouldn't pay for running backs. You should basically set yourself up to never have a second contract running back. So you 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 basically are always working through stylistic changes, particularly with a quarterback like Jackson. But I would say this is true for any team is just avoid second contract running backs is a great franchise building model to stay with. The other thing. I, I'm sorry. Go ahead to respond to that. I wanted to. Make well, I was just gonna point. say. I mean, it, when you get it wrong with a running back, it's a franchise killer. I mean, uh, yeah. Todd, Todd Gurley was great, and you know he came out with that arthritic knee condition, which was they knew about it in college, and then he came out, and and now the Rams, you know, went from a, a contender to now are, we're asking, are they an eight and eight team? Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're very top heavy uh, anyway with the Goff contract and Aaron Donald, of course, but. You're right. So you say it's a generalized problem. And there, the easy, easy answer for any GM is to say, I need to invest. I need an inside linebacker. I need a running back. I need this. I need that. I need one of everything. Well, that's really that's the easy way to play GM. The hard way is to find out what can I do without, given the strengths of my other players, 
given the strengths probably of my coordinators in terms of scheming for, for what they can do, what can I do without? And I love the idea that you're talking about of, of really not paying inside linebackers. The Ravens, yeah, sure, they, they had Mosley and C.J. Lewis, so they had great inside linebackers, but they also had a bunch of great undrafted linebackers in Scott and other players. There's not as heralded McLean and LRB and, and players like that. You know, that's what I like to do, and I like to get inside linebackers who can platoon because I think it, it is much easier thing to replicate – most of what a three-down unicorn linebacker gives you in three players for a lot less money and a hell of a lot less injury risk. Well, there's so you, there's there's a couple ways to 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 think about this. First, you could think about everything as a sub package. So anymore, because of the way the NFL is going, yep. stopping the run is a sub package. I mean, yep. you you don't want to pay a nose a two-down nose tackle, and and you know you can always find somebody who can come in and do that job. And uh, you don't want to pay for run stopping linebackers. You can always find somebody who can do that job. Mm -hmm. And if you, if you take care of business with your defensive line and your secondary, it just allows you to be more creative with how you think of problem solving. So if you've got what essentially amounts to a sub package that allows you to get to either, let's say second and eight or third and seven, you have the ability to just put in all of your money players. And if those are your money players, then you're doing it wrong. Uh, you, you can absolutely put more DBs on the field. Obviously, nickel corners are increasingly considered um, starters for good reason because they're just more valuable. But what it has allowed for the Ravens to do is they let these guys go. They get paid by other teams, and then the Ravens just reap the rewards and getting compensatory picks, which they mm -hmm. then use to take linebackers to replace them. And they're not really paying anything at all. They're just replacing what other teams gave them. So they, reality is they, they the seven picks they originally had, they get to use the rest of the team, and they're just using compensatory picks to take running backs and take uh, linebackers or what amounts to that, even if it's not the actual pick, but it's just the way – that they're recycling their 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 uh, their assets. It works for a number of picks. Unfortunately, the Ravens drafted you know linebacker, running back, linebacker in this year's draft with with Harrison in the third round pick. He I'm not sure he's their third pick. He might have been their fourth, but uh, you know Dobbins at at 55 and uh, and the first round pick Queen of course uh, were you know that's a lot of draft capital going to two positions where I really hope they had not spent draft capital. The guy I really wanted in the first round was McKinney. Sure. And, uh, yeah. I, but I would just say, like, what 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 that says to me is you're in a win now mode. You you are trying to win right now because they're on rookie contracts. You've basically given yourself, you know, a couple years to win because chances are, you know, unless, you know, unless you you find out that that uh, the linebacker one of those linebackers is a franchise player that you just can't, absolutely can't live without. Chances are they're going to walk. It's just that's just the way you do business in this. So. You know, in the same way the Eagles might use a first round or second round pick in a linebacker, it's the same concept. You are now saying that we have everything else covered. And I think I think in a pre uh cut Earl Thomas world, they probably felt like that this was all they really needed to be good. If they could get a linebacker to come in and play at a really high level, then they were really set to win the Super Bowl. I think now, obviously that's a little bit more of a question mark, but even, you know, their offense was built in a certain way where they had they had all those young receivers come at the same time. They got Miles Boykin, who I was a big fan of coming out of Notre Dame. You've mm -hmm. got uh, obviously Marquise Brown. You've got tight ends who are, you know, 
second and third year guys that they're really allowing sort of Lamar Jackson, these guys all to grow up at the same rate. And if it works, you know, they, they, you know, if, I've always compared Lamar Jackson to sort of Giannis Antetokounmpo, where he was just this really raw, athletic guy that has certainly had some things he could do well, but you're trying to build up the rest of these things. And if he sort of takes the step that everybody thinks he can take this year, then they're the prohibitive favorite to win the Super Bowl. And suddenly it makes a ton of sense to go, well, we needed a linebacker to win now, and we wanted to ta- we had this opportunity to take this tailback to win now. Does that work? That's sort of the gamble we're at, we're, they're, they're making. Yeah, I, I look at last year, and this is where I, I, I would just take the opposite side of this argument is what I'd say, is that they went through after week four, and they said, we have to flush the toilet on this current linebacking crew we have. And they had Owasso as a Mike linebacker when he'd been a successful uh, three-player platoon will the previous year, which is where he really needed to stay. And you know they had, they had Kenny Young, and they just couldn't stand what he wasn't processing in terms of coverage and the play behind him and they said we we have to let go and the two guys they went out they went out and got a guy who had eight years in the nfl with a half season of total defensive snaps lj fort who ended up being fantastic within the scheme and Bynes, who had a terrific year um within the scheme i mean just if if you can replace your linebacking core that easily in season yeah. as the ravens did why do you have to spend two freaking draft picks that are that high Let's put this way. LJ Fort was an undrafted special teams guy in the Browns years ago. Uh, That's 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 how we know LJ Fort. Josh Bynes was outstanding last year. He was a 30 year old linebacker. He had one of the best seasons of any linebacker. I mean, but again, that's if you're if you if you take care of business on the defensive line the way they have, you're really reducing the the difficulty to playing that position. Josh Bynes and, and, and LJ Fort weren't being asked to take on blocks. You had. 700 pounds of guy in the middle there and you had mm-hmm. these really talented uh, guys in the outside and obviously they went with a little bit of a different approach but it's the same basic concept you, you're never going to put these guys in a position where they have to take on blocks you're just allowing them to run around and make tackles and again you know that is what queen does well is that worth the gamble we're going to find out right smallish guy and definitely the opposite direction from the way the browns seem to be going inside linebacker they seem to be much bigger and more physical than the ravens at that position, I guess that was true with Schobert as well, in terms of having at least a bigger player there. Uh, but anyway, uh, I think what else would you like to talk tell us about the at the, about the Browns defense? Because I really want to get to that for Ravens fans here. Well, the I mean, uh, factors. Well, I mean, look, Miles Garrett. There's no, you know, Aaron Donald is you can say is the best player in the league uh, on defense. I would say Miles Garrett is is right behind him. He's he's that good. He's that special. So at this point, I mean, Ronnie Stanley is a great, great tackle, even though I crushed him in the draft process for being so slow. He's certainly made me eat it. But Miles Garrett gives him fits. I mean, that's just how good he is that Ronnie Stanley is an all pro and Miles Garrett gives him all the all the problems in the world. I mean, Olivier Vernon is just a consummate professional and they've got a better rotation up front, which should hopefully help them. The biggest thing I would say is Denzel Ward. He's a very, very good cover corner, but the way he's talking about the techniques that he's added to his game through the coaching of Joe Woods has me really excited because he's really excited. And that's interesting that a guy who's been that good is so uh, – you just 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 can't stop smiling as he's talking about these things, his confidence level and those type of things. So, I mean, I, I, in general, I would say the, the, the Browns defense was always going to come into this season – basically as a as a 
development project that they were always going to be sort of figuring this thing out. And that was before COVID became a thing. And that was before they dealt with some injuries. They will go largely as the defensive line goes. And when the defensive line was good last year, they were great. When the defensive line wasn't good last year, they just became easy to pick apart. So let's let's talk about COVID for a second, because this is one of the big predictions I made coming into the roster cut down day was that I expected the Ravens to go with an extra defensive lineman and an extra offensive lineman with the flexibility you're given with the practice squad, with the flexibility you're given with IR this year, that they really more than anything needed to cover for the dearth of talent at the street level at the two most severely hit COVID position groups, offensive line, defensive line. What did the Browns do? Well, first, I agree with you 100%. One, there's never enough offensive linemen in the league anyway, and you had a bunch of them leave. So, like, I, I I don't know what you did, but when I was watching the list of people get cut down, and it, it was awful. I mean, there was just nothing there uh, to, to go grab. So, yeah, I, I agree that your approach should be to get – you know, I've always said this. You invest in talented fat kids. They just there just aren't there just aren't enough. You know, 300 pound guys who can move are worth their weight in gold. Uh, the Browns, uh, they they grabbed they grabbed a guy who wasn't actually on their team uh, on the practice squad and immediately protected them. They took Greg Sanat. Uh, oh, they got him. Damn. Yes. Yes. They Damn. Greg Sanat. It's a great left tackle signing. <laughs> <laughs> for their for their practice squad immediately protected him so they can't deal with that. Um they've got they've 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 got a couple extra centers uh on the roster. They've got basically three guys you can snap. I think that was the thing that that a lot of teams grabbed because that's an easy thing to sort of activate uh is an extra guy you can potentially come in and snap. Uh and then defensive line wise, you know, they they didn't really get anything on the defensive line. And, and and the reason was the guy, they cut two guys to make room for Vincent Taylor. And I think both of them, they cut uh, Daniel Quale and they cut Elianku. And they were really hoping to get Elianku on the practice squad. Well, Daniel Quale got snapped up by the uh, Jaguars and then the Colts put Elianku on their active roster. And that's just been sort of the trick with this is there are just so many teams that need help right now that they had that, that, that they were grabbing them. So the Browns' overall approach is the fact that they have depth-wise, they have pretty good tackles. Uh, even before Greg mm-hmm. Sanat, they have Chris Hubbard, who's back at being a sixth man because that's what he should have been, as opposed to a starting right tackle. And they've got Kendall Lamb, who's you know a functional tackle who has NFL experience. So they're too deep from that end. Gar- the interior is where they got hit. Uh, J.C. Treader had arthroscopic knee surgery sort of in the middle of right right when camp was getting going. So they their fifth round rookie, Nick Harris, got a lot of reps um, and he looks good from a standpoint of he has the the mobility they want and he looks good from understanding what they want. He's but the I Washington abs- kid. Yeah, but but I absolutely would not want him facing off against. Uh, Brandon Williams or the week two guy they faced in DJ reader. That is the thing that killed uh, Nick Harrison college. And, and you've got two of these outstanding earth mover type nose tackles that just ca- caused a lot of problems. And I don't know where JC Treader is in terms of his recovery. He's saying he's good to go. He's saying that this, the, you know, the, the Browns essentially allowed him to get as recovered as possible. But if he's anything less than a hundred percent, 
that becomes a matchup that concerns me. So they've got it's addressed from that standpoint. And then their their third string center option who becomes, you know, that next guard in is Evan Brown. So they have nine offensive linemen. They're relatively equipped, but COVID they lost three guards to COVID opt-outs, uh, mm-hmm. including one they're uh, one they're excited about, and one I was really excited about, Drew Forbes. Uh, but uh, that's where they've gotten hit. Okay, so n- nine guys. They only kept nine offensive linemen, but then they went ahead and they protected Sanat. Did they protect another another snapper? You said on the practice squad as well. No, center? the other guys they kept were uh, they protected Garrett Gilbert. They protected Cody Parkey as a kicker, which I totally understand uh, in that scenario. And then the other guy they protected was uh, uh, Javante Ma- uh, Moffitt, who's a strong safety, uh, undrafted oh. guy. So I, I and J- Javante Moffitt one's interesting to me. I don't know if they basically uh, picked a name out of a hat or rolled a dice because that's just a a weird name unless they're really concerned somebody was going to grab him as to why they went with those guys going back to Sanat for a second sixth round pick originally by the Ravens out of Wagner and he was in my mind the, the last two DaCosta picks sorry the last two Aussie picks were really the first two DaCosta picks because he's really known for his small school scouting and those guys uh, Sanat you know in particular would have been a guy I'm sure that that he was high on because of the thing and and also the other one was Zach Sealer who's now with the Dolphins uh, you know, guys. But anyway, going back to Sanat for a second, it's not really surprising at all that you grab somebody else's tackle and then you protect him in a year like this. The tackle market has gotten ridiculous in terms of the the price for replacement level tackles, like a six round pick now. Yeah, and I was a big fan of Zach Sealer coming out of Fair State as well. Uh, I was hoping the Browns would steal him from the Ravens one of the one of these times. Uh, but yeah, look, I mean, again. Talented, talented big guys that can move. Uh, and again, you, you lose some to COVID opt-outs. You, you have a couple guys sort of hanging out, seemingly waiting to cash in on sort of a big offer for a team that's desperate enough. Uh, you know, COVID, it, it, there was always a dearth of offensive line talent. And then COVID just sort of exacerbated that to a level that hasn't been seen. And there are a couple teams that are just not equipped uh, the Cincinnati Bengals stand out as a team that's – I don't know how Joe Burrow is going to survive this season with what they <laughs> have there. But, like, the Arizona Cardinals stand out to me as a team that's going to have a problem with that. You just don't – it's just a team, an area you have to invest in, and you have to invest in consistently because whether it's injury or you can't afford to pay guys or whatever, you just never have enough. Even when – right now the Browns have four plus Sanat. And it still doesn't feel like they have not enough just by virtue of, of how how valuable that position is. I, I like the Browns position a lot better than the Ravens. The Ravens are now sitting with their their two stars and they're they're both among the best tackles in the league at their own positions. But they then have uh, the third tackle they have is either DJ Fluker, who last played tackle in 2016. And uh, the next guy they have is probably the practice squad now guy who's been released seven by seven different teams, eight total times. The Ravens are his seventh organization, um, and that is Will Holden, who was a a fifth-round draft pick in 2017 by the Cardinals. Talk about a team that can't find a tackle ever to save their lives. Yeah, Vanderbilt guy, if if memory serves. We are are one of the teams that has not signed him, uh, so we've got that going for (laughs) All right. Let's let's keep going with the offense. I know people want to hear about the Browns skill position players obviously really improved their tight end position over the offseason. Yeah, I mean, Austin Hooper was a big get. And, and and just by virtue of how much is going on, he's almost sort of a forgotten man. He's come in 
Uh, and he, he, it's really like a hand in glove relationship with those two. They, they just look like they've been together for years. Uh, Hooper just understands how to get open. He's got great hands. He's very consistent. And then in this offense, you know, they're going to run double tights. They're going to run double tights a lot. That was, you know, everybody kept speculating they were going to trade Njoku. They speculated when they signed Hooper, they speculated they they were going to trade him when they, uh, when they, uh, drafted, uh, Harrison Bryant. Uh, they speculated, despite the fact they picked up his fifth-year option, and all along, this thing is he's a starter. He is a start. They are a two tight end offense. They're going to start in that. Their their offense is going to have Hooper, uh, and uh, likely Njoku, just because he can block in line better. Uh, it's really tough for a rookie to come in and do that. And then they're going to have Odell Beckham, Jarvis Landry at the receiver spots, and then they're going to have Nick Chubb. Uh, they have the ability to go to a uh, to to Kareem Hunt. They have the ability to bring in Andy Janovich and really go, you know, sort of a heavy uh, try and stop us type look uh, with that. He's a, a really good zone fullback, and they got him for the cost of a seventh round pick because the Broncos basically decided we're never going to use this again, uh, and, and got him for nothing. He's a he's a really good fit for this offense. So you know they are based in old Mike Shanahan principles, obviously. Uh, you know, Kyle Shanahan's taken that in one direction with, with the San Francisco 49ers, uh, the, the, you know, the, the Vikings went in this other direction. They've got, had guys like Gary Kubiak being offensive consultant for years. Uh, and, and, and Kevin Stefanski has, has sort of taken that and run with it. He was the offensive coordinator last year. So, you know, with him as the offensive coordinator, you're going to get a whole lot of, you know, the thing they want to be their bread and butter is that traditional old school zone stretch. They want to get, uh, I mean, they, they, they did a lot of wide zone last year. They just did some other things as well. Nick Chubb had a lot of success. Those inside guys were very good at it, uh, but they just want to expand it. That was the reason they got Jedrick Wills. That was the reason they got Jack Conklin. He's very athletic guys that can hopefully uh, expand that ability. And Jedrick Wills is a rookie. Um, you know, and, and, and this off season is a really big challenge for a rookie tackle, um, because you can do all the footwork you want in the backyard or whatever. It's a position that you have to be able to sort of counter, uh, power and, and deal with man on man blocking. And you're 20, he's young. He's, he, he turned 21 after the draft. So there's just sort of a, a, you know, he's just at a deficiency from a standpoint of he's yet probably not even done growing yet. Uh, right. so he's at a strength. Disadvantage. I mean, he's a powerful guy, but he's going to get bigger. So they want to run that zone stretch. Uh, you know, much has been made of Baker Mayfield losing weight, and and I'm sure some of that is, you know, he 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 wanted to get in better shape. But last year, I think it, what people were sort of missing is I think he tried to put on some armor, some uh, some Ben Roethlisberger flubber, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now because of the offense they had, they're asking him to do a lot of sprint out and a lot of that play action off that zone. So they're going to do the you know those big old uh, stretch play action the other way. And I think what they really want to do, at least based on the personnel they have is really uh, stretch to the left and play action, right. So they can run behind Conklin and have him be that major pass protector, but they want to have that tight end be a big part of their, their, their passing game. And I, and I think it's not unfair uh, or unrealistic to sort of look at, at what the Vikings had with, with Adam Thielen and uh, Stefan Diggs and say Odell Beckham is hopefully, you know, from their standpoint going to be sort of that, what they would like to say is a better version of Stefan Diggs and, and Jarvis Landry is going to be more that Ad- Adam Thielen type. 
where they're very, very good, but they have very defined roles in sort of what they're doing. And, and like Diggs with Minnesota, he's more of a field stretcher type guy, run after the catch. And and and, and Thielen was a guy who could just get open and, and find holes in the defense and move the chains. And I think the Browns look at this and they think they have better tight ends than the Vikings did. I, I think that's fair to say. Uh, and they have a better running back. With all due respect to what the Vikings have, Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunter just better. Nick Chubb obviously ran for you know, a ton of yards against the Ravens last year, including that 88-yard run where Earl Thomas um, yep. pointed, his, pointed at his hamstring um, and when, he, when, in fact, he just turned it down. Uh, but, yeah, I mean, the, that's that's who they want to be. They want to be able to run the ball and run play action, and that's – that, I think that's the, the the mentality they want to develop. I think that's the profile they want to develop. And, and I think that especially when you're trying to install an offense in the first year in a shortened off season and you're going against a team like the Ravens who are, you know, they, they, you know, as much as you don't want to say benefit from COVID-19, but they, they and the Steelers, maybe two, two teams more than any other in the league that, carried over from a continuity standpoint. They didn't change coaches. They changed very little of the roster. They know exactly who they are coming into the season. They didn't need, you know, if they, if they, if there were, they, there were teams that could afford to lose practices. Those were the teams that could afford to lose practices where your team like the Browns. And you're saying we need every rep we can get, and we have to find every way to be more efficient this year than any other year. So if you are in a shortened timeline to sort of install an offense, what's the easiest thing to do? Run the ball and run play action off of it. Okay, so let me ask you a few things about the about the offense that relate to a lot of the stuff you just covered. Um, Eleven or versus twenty-one personnel. Now, with two talented receivers like Beckham and Landry, they want those guys on the field for almost every play. Correct? Yeah, they're going to keep them as on as often as possible. Okay, so that means most of what they run is either out of twelve or twenty-one. I, I know, I'm sorry, that they have an option to run out of twelve or twenty-one because they can also run out of eleven personnel. Given that, but you're saying they're more likely to run out of twelve personnel this year? Yeah, that's who they want to be. Okay, all right. So, t- so two tight ends and and Joku and Hooper would be the guys then, right? It, they're not designated Hooper as a receiver somehow. No, and 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 with that, if you look at the Browns roster and you look at their third receiver position. It's it's Richard Higgins by largely by default, and it's not to say he's a bad receiver. He's just, you know, if you're building a team and you're saying we're putting an importance on this spot, I think they would have done more than just drafted Donovan Peoples-Jones in the sixth round. They're more, and they they drafted again. They drafted Harrison Bryant, another tight end in the fourth round, who they're really excited about. They they kept four on the roster uh, for for this year, and I think. Uh, what you could see happen is is when they take uh, Njoku off the field, the guy who may come on the field is Kareem Hunt, and he may be split out at times to fill that third receiver. Because what the Vikings have done in the past is they they use guys like Cordero Patterson. Uh, you know, the dream obviously would be uh, these last couple of years they would have Percy Harvin, where you have that Joker type guy that doesn't have to be sort of a traditional wide receiver. It can be sort right. of a, a guy you can just get the ball in his hands and, and, and create some plays that way. And Kareem Hunt is a decent receiver. He he's he, he knows what he's doing. He's not going to embarrass himself running routes. But it just because it becomes another way to put stress on a defense. So yeah. you know their their three receiver sets may may feature uh some 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 extra tailback at that receiver position. And at that point, you know, they've got a lot of size at that point. And and they force teams what they want to be able to dictate is 
how you can play them from a package, personnel package. Yes. So they can go, they can go with the, you know, their big heavy package. They can go double tights or even three tight ends and a fullback and say, you have to put your biggest guys on the field. And then they can do things like they could go smaller and force you to go smaller. But I think what they increasingly, what you're seeing in the NFL uh, is, is you're seeing so many teams go smaller and smaller and smaller uh, to defend the passing game. And what a few teams are doing, I think the Tennessee Titans have sort of been the most uh, notable example is basically saying, you guys want to go small, we're going to go big. Our line is big, our tight ends are big, our tailback is huge, and our receivers are all big. And we're going to try to make you uh, play in a position you don't want to play. And I think the Browns are trying to hit on that and force a team like the Ravens to play maybe bigger than they want to play. This, that's true, I think, around the league, is that 13 personnel, for example, was so successful for the Ravens last year because the apparent formation you show to the opposing defensive coordinator forces what choices, he, how he responds to you before he can see how you're actually lining up. And so he, if, if you, you know, stick th- three tight ends on the field, well, he has to send out a unit that, that matches up against three tight ends well, and it's a real quandary as to how you do that when two of your tight ends are guys who can split wide anyway. Yeah, so, no, no question. I mean, if you've got guys who are 6'5", 240, and can run a 4'6", you know, it's hard enough to find one guy who's equipped to deal with that, let alone two and three, uh, and that, that that's a real challenge to deal with. And obviously, you know, part of this is is by bringing in a Hooper, you know, you are hoping that N- David Njoku has a really efficient season because – presumably whatever a team's best shot to defend a tight end is going to go to Hooper. So who's left to defend a Joku and can he take full advantage of that? Right. And the Ravens were, were, were the same way when they had all those tight ends is who's your third guy who can take on a tight end. And then the Browns have some of that too. They're good. You know, Harrison Bryant may come in as a wing. He's a very good receiving tight end out of uh, Florida Atlantic. Who's really done well in camp from that standpoint. Andy Janovich can catch passes. So, you know, uh, that's that's where play action, particularly out of those bigger formations, becomes a real problem. Is you're trying to get these defenses to over tend and put put an overemphasis on stopping the run, and then you basically go play action and go right over the top of these guys who are just too fast for those big big linebackers that are increasingly becoming difficult to find. So now the move for most teams is you're trying to find safeties that can sort of match up with uh, tight ends. Yeah, it's and and that can work or it cannot, but I I think most of the time it's it's too difficult. When you line the when you line up a a really mobile tight end in the backfield. So Hayden Hurst last year, you know, was the guy the Ravens turned to for that. They had Ricard as well. He's he's a hammer, so he's he's trying to set you up with that double team on the inside that'll lead to a combination block into level two. But the, the great thing about tight ends who can't block and are good receivers, when you line them in the backfield and they have the necessary quickness, they're great level two and level three blockers, generally speaking. You don't want them blocking at the first level. You don't want them participating in double teams at level one because they're not as effective at that. But boy, they have the feet to stay in front of a safety and body him off the ball carrier. And that's what turns a lot of 10-yard runs into 30-yard runs. Yeah, I mean, you, you can do a lot with wham blocking. You can do a lot where they pull up and go through the hole, or you, you split them out wide and you crack block. And that's, you know, really different. Even for linebackers, that's something you don't want to deal with is a, is a true crack block. But, the, you know, for the same way that the Ravens are going to look at the Browns linebackers and go, we're going to try to take advantage of these guys, I think the Browns are going to look at, uh, you know, they're going to look at their, their young linebackers. And, and, you know, in no, no fault of his own, you know, they're going to look at Deshaun – uh, Deshaun Elliott uh, at that back end and basically say, you know, how how is he going to replace 
Earl Thomas and are, are, the, are the, the Ravens and those defenders who, who were so adamant that they, they didn't want Earl Thomas to be part of this, are they going to do enough to sort of protect him and, and do their job so much better that they can sort of, you know, eliminate him from getting exposed? So, you know, in that respect, I think it's going to be a chess game between both offenses trying to isolate these young, un- unproven players and try to stay away from, you know, the, the Marlon Humphreys of the world and the Denzel Wards and not let them beat you, but try to try to find ways to attack the weak points. Yeah. Agree completely. Now we wouldn't be able to do any kind of a show on the Browns if we didn't spend a little more time talking about Baker Mayfield. One of the things from his rookie year, and I would say early in 19 as well, was a lot of difficulty handling pressure. A lot of Chris Collinsworth called it exactly right in one of the national televised game when he, when he accused Mayfield of throwing a lot of fadeaway jumpers, you know, in terms of, of passes. But did you see some improvement through the year in Mayfield's ability to deal with pressure? Uh, so his rookie year, he was better at it than last year. And it, and it all had to do with, you know, the Browns had awful, awful tackles his rookie. There, Desmond Harrison uh, at left tackle, who you've never heard of because he's not in the league anymore. And you've got uh, – you had Chris Hubbard. And what would happen is they had a really strong interior of the offensive lines. They have Joel Petonio and J.C. Treader, who are still here, and Kevin Zeitler. So they could create a real front, and it would allow Mayfield to essentially allow uh, have those defensive ends fly past a field. He could step up in the pocket, and he could either uh, throw the ball right there or he could sort of roll out from that standpoint and do that. Last year – they traded Zeitler and they got Olivier Vernon and and the guy they had sort of pegged to take over that job, Austin Corbett, just proved incapable. So they ended up with Eric Cush at right guard. And what kept happening is Eric Cush kept getting crumpled into the backfield. And what Mayfield wanted to do was he wants to step up in the pocket and he couldn't do it. So being a short quarterback, as he is, you know, that Drew Brees mold, he started backing away. And either get, holding on to the ball too long and trying to escape into plays that were never going to happen and try to make something out of nothing. And he'd either throw balls late that were now in danger or B, take these awful sacks and put them way behind the line of scrimmage. So last year was bad in terms of uh, dealing with pressure. They, you know, they eventually they traded for Wyatt Teller from the Bills uh, at the beginning of the year. And it took him about half the season before they could insert him to right guard. It improved. He was bit more stable up front, but the damage was largely done at that point, and he just was in these bad habits of not being able to trust his pocket, not being able to step up. That is who he wants to be, and that is the che- that that's what you know. I, I think the Ravens and any team facing Mayfield are going to want to do as as so many quarterbacks they they hate pressure around their feet. Mm-hmm. So if you can if you can cause that disruption around there, he doesn't really care so much about pressure around the edge. His 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 safe, his safe uh, out is always going to be stepping up. If you take that away, then he has more problems. Now, p- the other part that he ran into last year, he was not as mobile. The added weight was a problem. He got whacked uh, early in the year. I think he hurt his hand. He had a hip issue, and it just sort of compiled, and he got slower, which just made the whole thing worse. So part of, you know, part of him getting in better shape and being lighter on his feet, which I think is still – largely a function of the offense is so he has quicker feet. So he's a little more athletic and he can avoid more pressure. How that plays out remains to be seen, but the interior of the line is more stable, but obviously you're playing a team like the Ravens where they've got Brandon Williams. And now they've got Calais Campbell. Who's an except one of the most exceptional defensive tackles post age 30 in NFL history. Oh yeah. Like 
something like 40 sacks or something after age 30, which is like more than he had in his entire 20s. It's it's absurd. So you have him. You have the other guy they brought in from the Broncos. The, all these guys who are really good at sort of creating that internal disruption, and I think that's going to be a big part of this. Now, can the Browns get the ball out of Mayfield's hand in a way that's not just a an offense that was poorly managed last year? I mean, Freddie Kitchens, they would be great on the first drive of games, and then Freddie Kitchens would essentially bail in the game plan to just call off the cuff, and that was a big part of the problem is receivers didn't know what they were doing, and Mayfield held on the ball too long. Are they going to be able to get out the ball out of his hands quicker. I think that's going to be a key, big key for him, whether that's getting out to tailbacks, whether that's, you know, they're just quicker routes to get the ball out. They tried it with slants last year and it just it did not work very well. T- teams were setting on that tendency and, and they had some interceptions and stuff like that. So you know, big, the biggest thing for him is, is the best way to deal with pressure is to not have pressure because you threw the ball. So it, being a hot read quarterback is a difficult thing. And Mayfield has now been in the league long enough that he needs to be better at that in terms of really knowing where his hot guy is immediately based on where the blitz is coming from. But I'm, I'm expecting a game filled with an outrageous amount of schemed pressure because that's really who Wink Martindale is in terms of, you know, wanting to drop their edge players a lot, wanting to bring safeties, uh, bring the slot corner a fair amount. Uh, but 9 of 11 can rush is the easiest way to put it. Only the outside corners really don't rush much. <laughs> and uh, it, it'll be interesting to see if the Browns are able to adapt to that because it's really, it, you know, winning one-on-one block up, uh, blocking matchups is the easy thing to do against the Ravens. It's going to be a little harder with Campbell this year, but this yep. it's really the easy thing to do against the Ravens. Yeah, I mean, Let's move on. Mar- I'm sorry, go ahead. I was just going to say, Wick Martindale, you had to out of necessity last year. It was Matthew Judon and three guys named Fred as your pass rusher. So you had to blitz. <laughs> Now with Campbell, now with some of these other lighter guys, he doesn't have to. So, I, I mean, I, I, that's who he is. I agree with you. But I, I'm curious if he tries to mix it up more just to fool guys and may show blitzes that end up being more drops uh, and try to get, tr- try to force some turnovers that way. But when you have corners that they do, I mean, you, 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 you can just leave them on an island and just go. Yeah, well, the way the way and but leaving them on an island uh, you you is ideal to to set up blitzes. I think that's what you're saying actually. It's the elements of deception that really are remarkable about Martindale because he he has still a fair amount of four man rushes though they rush five more than anybody. But the four man rushes are not necessarily straight four zeros with you know no special things. It's you know it's four zero with one stunt and one blitzer or two blitzers and two drops or you know whatever. It's it, they're these weird. Um, you know, still very scheme heavy blitzes. And, you know, I've charted the, the three major elements of deception I chart are the simulated pressures by number of drops from the line of scrimmage, the number of stunts that occur on a play by play basis, and the number of blitzes from off the line of scrimmage. Those three things. If you have two on one play, it's a deceptive blitz. But the Ravens have been as deceptive as they ever were under anybody except Rex Ryan, who's the most unbelievably deceptive. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's one word to describe Rex Ryan's style. Yes. Uh, one might call it just reckless abandon. Yes, reckless. <laughs> I mean, I, I think that's I think that's what it was. Dean Pease very he tried to dial up the pressure slowly until it was just the right amount to 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 beat the other team, and and that sometimes he got it right and sometimes he didn't. And and both Martindale and Ryan are guys who want to turn the heat up all the way and then turn it back as they need to, maybe a little bit. No, yeah. Yeah. So uh, it's been great talking to you. 
Um, I, I really appreciate you coming on, Pete. You're a last second replacement. And I uh, uh, let me take care of this for a second here. Got an Oriole game that actually matters in September in Baltimore. So it's an unbelievable combination of, of excitement we have this this weekend with the Orioles in New York. But anyway, we, we appreciate you coming on. Is there is there a player you think is matches up particularly well against the Ravens that you think will be a star on Sunday? Yeah, I would say Austin Hooper. I think he's the the biggest problem they're going to have. I, I you know the Raven. I, I have little doubt the Ravens will find ways to either chip or combo cover or so I don't think they're ever going to not have a situation where at least two guys make contact with him on a play but he's the guy who just gives them those problems I mean Chuck Clark is a very very good strong safety I just don't know if he's up to just saying hey we're going to leave him on him alone and say we're good with it I think Austin Hooper is the guy that that just to me looks like it's going to create the most problems for the young players on that Ravens team all right all right, I'm, I'm going to go the other way. I'm going to say that Deshaun Elliott will come up with a pick in this first game. I think he's he's uh, going to really have to play a game where he takes care of the linebackers in front of him and leaves some of the outside routes in man coverage. And I think it's going to it's going to create an opportunity for a turnover in the middle of the field for him. All right, let's uh, let's move forward with this. Pete, where can folks find your work again, your Twitter handle, any other plugs you'd like to make? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at underscore Pete Smith underscore. There's too many of us. This is what happens. <laughs> uh, you can find me at uh, si.com slash NFL slash Browns is the website. It's Browns Digest. Uh, but yeah, if you, you Google Browns Digest or whatever, you'll find us or you can get through through the SI website. Okay. Extremely knowledgeable guest, Pete. We really appreciate this. And uh, uh, Ryan gave us your name, Ryan Burns, and and uh, really appreciate him doing this and you coming on at the last minute. Uh, folks, if you're if you're interested in doing a film study short with me, uh, send me two or three bullets on that. Uh, DM me. Uh, check out filmstudybaltimore.com for all the content. We're, we're now into regular season mode where we'll do a defensive show on Monday night, an offensive uh, line scoring show on Tuesday night, and the Know Your Foe episode on Wednesday night. Hope you all hang out and check us out there. Uh, Pete, again, thank you for coming on. Oh, thanks for having me. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. <laughs> Birdland Sports. For fans, by fans. Find more great shows like this at birdlandsports.com. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. Say goodbye 
to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.